0: Well, good morning. Yeah, that was a little weak. Yeah, we're not here to do greetings anyway, right? We just finished with one. Hey, just in case you haven't noticed, this is the last chapter of 1 Corinthians. You guys made it. You got through the whole thing. You can give yourself a round of applause. Actually, you haven't made it yet because here I go. So we're jumping into the 16th chapter, the very last chapter of 1 Corinthians. Uh, We've been going through this series, and uh, as we jump into this one, Paul, this chapter feels a bit like that final salutations and all the little reminders that he's got to put in and he snuck into the letter. It's a little bit like if you're house sitting and the person you're house sitting for is trying to remember everything they told you. And there's a few things they want to remind you of like, Hey, don't forget to feed the cats and put the trash out on Thursday. Don't park in the street. They'll give you a ticket. Those kind of things. He's putting all of that into this letter and saying, these are the last reminders that I need to give to you as we wrap up the letter. And so it can feel like, hey, does any of this really matter? Well, I will tell you that Paul in this part of the letter is actually taking the exact same theme that he has used all throughout the entire letter and made it an emphasis. He's doing that here as well. As you remember, as we've been going through 1 Corinthians, we've been talking about divisions and everything else. The the people had written a letter to Paul. We don't have that letter, but 1 Corinthians is his letter back, answering questions, addressing issues, trying to settle some of the arguments and divisions they have. And every time he did it, he would come back into it and say, my reason for telling you this is... This is how you should treat it and be thinking about others rather than yourself in this situation. So if it was like food offered to idols, then he would stop and say, you have, you're free in Christ. You can eat whatever you want, but be thinking of others when you do that, because that might cause them to stumble. It might cause somebody else a problem. And when he would talk about the spiritual gifts, he says, if you've got the gifts of tongues, then that might be a great thing. But think of others and whether this is the right time to use use that. And so he would do that with all the different issues that we've been covering over the last few months. And he would talk about your freedom, he would talk about your gifts, he would talk about the different teachers whether it was Paul or Apollos or whoever they were following, he would stress this again and again that we should be thinking more of others around us and not just ourselves in that issue. So much so that I'm going to kind of play my hand right now. I'm going to show you where we're headed for this entire message. And we're going to look at Philippians 2. And if you've got your Bibles, turn to Philippians 2. Because we want you to understand that what Paul is asking us to do is something that Jesus himself did very, very well. And this shows up in Philippians 2, verse 3 to 8. "...do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself." passage in verse four specifically let each of you look not only to his own interest but to also to the interest of others have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus and Jesus himself thought more about us he he denied himself and thought about us he was thinking about us before we were even born That concept is what Paul's bringing about in this chapter. And he's saying again and again, I'm going to tell you things, but in this, it's about thinking about others. So I'm going to give you a little acronym that we can use throughout the whole thing. And it is just simply the word to, and it's thinking starts with a T. So if you've got a journal, you can write a big capital T thinking of big O and then others, another big O, -O T-O-O thinking of others. It's just that simple. And that is the concept that we're about to see that Paul has inserted and threaded. We already know he's done this through the whole book. That's what he says when he says, don't get caught up in the issue, be thinking about how it impacts others, think of others. And now in this light, he's going to be doing the same thing. So it's that simple. If you've got that, you've got the whole message right now. And uh, the definition for two, T-O-O, thinking of others, the definition of two, if you look it up in the dictionary, is just that idea of likewise in the same way also is the way to use it. Like Christ did, we too would want to love others in the same way. It would be thinking of others too. So the definition works that way as well. All right, you guys ready? Let's jump in. So we are in 1 Corinthians 16. And as we look at that first verse, it starts off and it says, now concerning the collection for the saints. And right off the bat, some of you, when we were reading this scripture earlier, you kind of groaned. You thought, oh no, here we go. It's going to be a sermon about offering. And we're going to be told we got to give more. Well, you already know that then, right? We don't necessarily have to teach about it. What I want to show you here is what Paul is doing is he's taking that concept and he's saying, this is a bit of that thinking of others. This is what they did. Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. And then he gives instructions on how to do that on the first day of the week, set some aside for those saints in Jerusalem. He's asking them to be thinking of others that you do what you're doing in your daily work for somebody else be thinking of others too. Too. That's the concept. That's where we're going with it. Ginny Key tells tells the story of uh, women in India that they didn't have very much money at all. They wanted to bless the other saints. So what they would do is take the the rice that they had, barely enough to feed their family, and they would set aside just a little bit of rice every day. But this group of women, there were enough of them that after a while they started to have quite a bit of rice. They would sell the rice, make some money. They'd saved that money until they were able to buy a building. They rented out the building and then they used the, the proceeds from the revenue from the rent to be able to take care of missionaries and to send money for missionaries who were taking the gospel out into the world. By simply thinking of others, they figured out we could set aside part of our own meal to be able to bless others in another way. That's the power of this idea of thinking of others. That's what Paul's talking about in this. Now look at verse 5. In verse 5, Paul's talking and he says, I will visit you. After passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. So right off the bat, he's saying so that you might be thinking about me helping me. And then he says, he's thinking about them for I do not want, I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. So even Paul himself is saying, I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking of others. This concept of two plays out there. Now let's jump up into verse 10. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I am, inspe- I am expecting him with the brothers. Paul is saying, even with Timothy... I want you to be thinking of others, be thinking about Timothy and what he needs. Timothy is a young pastor. He's just getting involved in the ministry and people saw him as too young. And so Paul is is saying, think about Timothy in this regard. And this concept, by the way, for Paul to say this and to write this to this church is really, really a beautiful idea. What I want you to imagine is that this church, Chuck Swindoll used to be a pastor here, very famous. He stops. He's now off in Texas. He's got a church in Texas. But imagine now that we as this church get a letter from Chuck Swindoll as Darren comes to this church. Let's read it with those eyes. So now Darren's come here and we feel differently about different pastors. Listen to what this letter would sound like. When Darren comes... See that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Is that not cool? It's great that that even there, Chuck Swindoll would be thinking about Darren. That Paul is thinking about Timothy and what he commands us to do or the church of Corinth to do is to be watching out for Timothy and caring for him and not despising him, but actually making it easier for him. This is what Paul is doing throughout this entire letter. Now, let's keep going, though. As we go, Apollos 2, and the same thing in verse 12, concerning our brother Apollos, at the very end of 12, it says he will come when he has opportunity. In other words, even Apollos is going to come back. They had a conversation about whether he could come now, and he says, I can't come now, but I will get there when I have an opportunity, that even Apollos is thinking about them, thinking of others. And then um, suddenly there's a change though. Look at verse 13 now. In verse 13, it says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men and be strong. He's totally changed the tone. It's no longer a little greeting, a little thing I need to remind you about, something I'm trying to jog you with. But instead he stops and he gives these really strong commands. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men and be strong. He gives this list of four things that are just like to rally you up. And this idea of why, why would he do this? What is that about? This concept of why he's doing it here is what he's just done is he's revealed something about what's happening in the church in Corinth. Paul, if you look at it in verse five, he says, I will visit. And 10, when Timothy comes and then even Apollos, he will come. That what you see is the leaders of the church of Corinth are gone. In fact, even Aquila and Priscilla, who had been in Corinth and had had a house church there, they are off with Paul in Ephesus. So all the leaders of the church are gone. And it's just us. It's all of us, just us monkeys here. That's all it is. We're all just there and there's no real senior pastor. There's nobody there. And Paul says to them, therefore, the the adversity that they're facing in Ephesus, they know they're facing it in Corinth. And so he gives them this answer and he says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men and be strong. And some of you may bristle at the act like men. I was really tempted to have a few people in the congregation, some men that were seated. And so that when I got to this, she would jump up and do men like things. You know, what does it mean to be men? They would jump up and they would burp or, you know, you know, that kind of thing. That is not what it's talking about. We're not talking about that, that you need to be men. What it's talking about is about having courage and maturity. The the option is, is that it says, be men, not boys. Act mature, be courageous. And this time when you're facing the adversities as the culture around you is not necessarily on your side, then be mature, be strong, be faithful, be watchful of everything that's there. That's what he's saying in that passage. And then the pivotal verse, I believe in the entire chapter is 14. Verse 14, he stops and he says, let all that you do be done in love. I also believe that that links to what he just did before. So think about love attached to these four commands previously. Be watchful in love. Stand firm in the faith and love. Act like men mature in your love. Be strong in your love. What I do know is that 14 says it all. And this is it. Let all that you do be done in love. It's strong enough that I think we should memorize it. Right now, we're going to do it. All right, you ready? We're going to break it into two sections. Let all that you do, all right, everybody this time, let all that you do be done in love. First part. Now let's see if we can get it together. This is going to be really hard, but I need you to put the two together. Oh yeah. You guys deserve a hand, a round of applause. Well done. That may be some of you, your first memory verse in, in 12 years, but great. Well done. The, the, the idea there is this is the principle. Let all that you do be done in love. And we, we've just memorized it. We've internalized it. And we've looked at this and said, oh, this is that same thing of thinking of others. This idea of two, just as the same mind that was in Christ Jesus is in us too, that thinking of others is that everything that we do, whenever we're interacting with somebody else, we would stop and realize that everything we do, let all that we do, would be done in love. This principle permeates 1 Corinthians. As we wrap up the book, you look at it and say, the one thing I know I'm supposed to do after this is all about love. If you've got your Bibles open to Corinthians, jump over to uh, chapter 10, verse 24. This idea sets right there let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Or look at chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging symbol. Clinging the last verse of chapter 13, f- verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And then verse 1 of 14, pursue love. We could do this all day. The chapter or the, the whole book of of Corinthians is focusing on this idea that what we're supposed to do is be thinking of others, set aside our own desires and have this mind in us that we too would love others in that way. All right. So we hit that. We're going to race down to the end of it really quick and, uh, and take a look at what he does with the rest of this chapter. So we just finished 14 and that is a memory verse that you guys know, cause it goes like this. Yeah, it didn't sound like he did that verse with any love. It's just kind of weak. It says, let all that you do, every little thing, even quoting memory verses. That's just what it says. Now, verse thirteen or 15. Now, I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia. And that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Do you guys see it? Thinking of others. They have devoted themselves to service of the saints. What have they done? They have thought of others and they're giving their life. They're devoted to others. So it shows up there. And then even in uh, verse 18, it's it's talking about Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. And it says in 18, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. That they were thinking of others too. They too were doing this. And it just keeps coming up. And verse 19, the churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prissa, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. Now, Aquila and Prissa also goes by the name Priscilla that it's just translated in different letters, different ways, but it's Aquila and Priscilla. They were Roman citizens. They're in Rome. They have a house church in Rome. They're getting persecuted for that. So they literally get forced out of their home country. They are refugees. They end up in Corinth and for a year and a half, they're taking their skills of tent making and Paul comes and they make tents together, but they do a house church and they're doing that as refugees in Corinth. And then they leave and they go to, Ephesus and at the time this letter is written Aquila and Priscilla have gone to Ephesus to share the gospel there and they have opened up their house as refugees in a third place and it's not even their country this isn't even where they live and yet they're loving others with who they are they're thinking of others and it's just that that cool thing when you put that together and you realize who they are that they too, it even says, if you haven't read Acts 18, after we've gone through all the first Cor- or first Corinthians, you to go back and look at 18, 18 is that time uh, in Acts where it gives a story of what's happening with Paul and Aquila and Priscilla and others. So it's fun to just go back and read that chapter now, but it puts it all in perspective that he was, they were even teaching Apollo. So They were uh, sharing with him the gospel. And then he went on to become a teacher in and of himself. Um, all right, the next verse, verse 20. This one, you know, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, you know, that all the brothers send you greetings, greet one another with a holy kiss. That kiss thing, you know? So I invited Eugenie to come up on stage with me so that we could illustrate a holy kiss and an unholy kiss. Um, she flat out refused. She didn't, she wasn't tempted in the least She just simply said, that is not going to happen. And uh, so know, though, that we plan to spend the rest of the afternoon practicing, you know, the different kisses and going through that. And this is part of what you should be doing, too. And right now, if you're married, you should be thinking of others and thinking of kissing your spouse. You know, it's that kind of thing. High schoolers, you're not married. Don't go there. All right. Don't do that. No, here's the deal, right? What does that mean, greet each other with a holy kiss? It's actually pretty simple. You will find that this phrase shows up in a lot of Paul's letters and some of the other letters as well. But it's right at the tail end of the letters. It's always a part of a closing. It's a way of basically saying, peace be with you. That it's a physical way of saying to somebody else in this time of of adversity where other people are persecuting the church to come up to another believer and to say, I stand with you. I am with you. My peace with you. And the idea being that if you come up to a stranger and a stranger wants to kiss you, what are you going to do? You're going to back away. You're going to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't even know you. At least you should. That's the concept. But the idea of the Holy Kiss is, is that part that you stop and say, God has transformed my life. God has transformed your life. We together are part of the body of Christ. I give you this blessing, my peace with you. And instead of backing up, you come together and you greet each other that way. That's the concept of the Holy Kiss. All right, let's move on. Verse 22. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be a curse. Oh, Lord, come. Now, I don't know about you, but this feels almost like Paul. He has been talking about love. He's been talking about thinking of others. He's been talking about all these wonderful people and the things they've done. And this has been great. And then he takes a bucket of cold water and throws it in our face and suddenly throws this word, let him be accursed. And you're like, whoa, Paul, you've just been all this Mr. Loving. And now suddenly you've gone harsh on us. What is this about? Well, what's happening here is that there's... A little bit of debate from theologians, they look at it and some people say, well, this is referring to the unchristian, the non-saved. This is the the person that doesn't know Jesus, that if he doesn't love Jesus, if he doesn't have Jesus as their Lord and Savior, then all of their sins are still wrapped up in them. They don't have the blood of Christ to put that forgiveness and grace on their life. And so they are accursed, that that's the concept. There are others, though, that stop and say, I don't know that it's just the unsaved that this applies to. And the way they would is describe it is that if you have found yourself in sin, is that sometimes Jesus himself says this in John 14, we're going to look at it in just a second, that Jesus says, if you love me, you do my commandments, and those who don't love me don't do what I command. How many of you have disobeyed God? Yeah, look at you. Even since you're a Christian? Yeah. So this idea that there are times when you're not loving Jesus, does that mean you're accursed? And the answer is yes. Now it doesn't mean eternal salvation in that sense, but what it does mean is it means that there's a consequence for sin. We know that. The wages of sin is sin has consequences even if you're a believer. Just go go commit murder. See what happens. Go have an affair. See what happens. Just go lie to somebody and see what happens. Sin has consequence. And so when you read this and it says, if you're not loving Jesus, that means you're in disobedience. You're in sin. And therefore there's consequence. There's a curse that comes with your sin. The point of that is either are true. Whether this is, whether Paul is speaking of a non-Christian or whether Paul is speaking of Christians, they're both true. There are curses that come for those who are not loving the Lord. Now, Paul does one more thing in here that might help explain it just a little bit more. If you look at the verse before in verse 21, it says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. The idea there is, is that he was using a scribe. He was dictating the letter. The scribe is writing down everything that Paul says for this letter. And then at this point, Paul takes the pen from the scribe and he writes this final salutation. And he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. And it becomes this little ending. When I Used to uh, work for Seattle's Union Gospel Mission. We would send out a lot of letters to donors, and in the process, the letter would be pre-printed with everything that I would want to say. But at the end, if it was especially if it was going to somebody that I knew, I would write a personal greeting right on there with my own hand, just like Paul. It's that kind of a thing that you would just write it out that way. Paul's doing this, but he does something really unusual. He does a little bit of wordplay. And the word right there, when it says, let him be accursed, accursed is the word anathema. Now, some of you use that word on a regular basis, that that idea is an anathema to me, it's cursed, it's a bad idea, or that person is an anathema to me, and maybe not all of you, but it's a word that we still use to this day, but it's a Greek word, and and that's it, anathema. If you've got your journals, you're going to want to write this down just to have it make sense, especially if you're a visual learner. A N A. T-H-A-M-A, anathema. or maybe an, yeah, T-H-A-M-A, anathema. The next word is a combination of those three words where it says, our Lord come. That word is Maranatha. So Paul writes, anathema, Maranatha. They sound similar? If you write out Maranatha, A-M-A, I better make sure I don't spell it wrong for you guys. But the... Uh, Uh, where did I go? Here we are. M-A-R-A-N-A-T-H-A. We're not going to have a spelling test at the end, but, uh, anathema is A-N-A-T-H-A-M-A and Maranatha is M-A-R-A-N-A-T-H-A. If you see it, it's just the idea. And you would underline in anathema, the first six letters, A-N-A-T-H-A. And in Maranatha, the last six letters, A-N-A-T-H-A that this phrase, anatha, anatha, shows up in both words. They have completely different meanings. They're not even close. But Paul is doing this with this wordplay is he saying, as you come up to this idea of love and loving God, this whole thing is a divided road. It sends you one way or the other. It's either anathema you your curse or it's maranatha and you are one with the Lord. Oh Lord, come and we're gonna abide with him. He's with me. And it's that idea that, do I love the Lord? If I love him, I do his commandments. Maranatha, the Lord is with me. If I don't love the Lord, I don't do his commandments. I'm cursed. And it's two separate things. And we get to choose by how we are loving. How we are thinking of others. It's just simply that concept. It's a fun little word play that Paul does there. But it just echoes the whole thing as it plays out. Um, in John... Uh, John 14. This is where Jesus says, John fourteen fifteen. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and then flip over to 15. And in chapter 15, verse 12, he says, this is my commandment. So he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. That this idea of when you love Jesus, the thing he's commanding you to do is to love others. That sounds a little bit like a memory verse I learned just a little bit ago. Anybody remember it? Let all that you do be done in love. This is what Jesus is asking from us. This is what Paul is asking from us in Corinthians. And we just went through the whole chapter, but we got one last thing to do. That as we take these ideas and we look at it and we realize this whole thing, that this is who we are as a church, we've been commanded to do this, to love the community around us, to love those. Jesus himself, on his worst day, did this very thing. Do you realize that as we march towards Easter, Jesus is about to be crucified. He's there. And in the process, he's thinking of others in this he thinks of Judas. He thinks of Peter. He thinks of his mother. He thinks of the thief on the cross even. That even those who are crucifying him, he says to his father, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. That even on Jesus's worst worst day, he is thinking of others. And this is the example we have. So how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we love others? So Eugenie and I sat down and we decided we're going to think through this and think of some of the ideas of what this means. And we were talking about different ways people have loved us. There was the time that we got COVID and early on in the whole COVID thing, we got a really bad part of it and we were down and we were really sick. And my brother heard about it and uh, he lives up in Oregon. And so my brother called uh, Marie Callender's and had Marie Callender's and, you know, the DoorDash or Grubhub or something like that. He says, he texts me and he said, Jeff, I don't know which of you isn't feeling too bad that they might be able to get to the front door, but we've sent something for you. And there were soups and chili and stuff like that to take care of us for a couple of days, just sitting on our front door for my brother in Oregon who was thinking of others, he was thinking about us, and he was loving us in that way. Things like meal trains, things like visiting people that are lonely, making phone calls, sending notes. We could go on and on about all the different things, but I want to give some real examples so that you can see just the the way it looks. Uh, Tiffany Kim and her family, they're in a neighborhood. They just moved into the neighborhood a few years ago. Another family moved into the neighborhood about the same time. And just over the last couple of months, the wife, the mom in this family got cancer and she passed away. And Tiffany just simply stopped and took her family and they went to the funeral and just simply walked with that family. Let everything that you do be done in love. To the Kim family, that means going to funerals. To my brother, it means sending soup. Um, John Bender So many of you know, John, Um, one day I was out with some of the staff. We were using the caravan and we were going out on a Valentine's day, delivering valentines to different seniors all throughout the community, just cookies and a little card, that kind of thing, just to cheer their day. And we had just passed John Bender's house and realized that I had driven past it and I needed to go back. So I put the van in reverse and I'm looking in the rearview mirror and I put it in reverse. What I didn't see was John's porch and the, the uh, handrail that came down from the porch. So I speed the van up to get back to his house. And I slammed the van right into his porch. I hit the porch so hard that his entire trailer house just shook and shook. It, it just popped them up. They jumped up, came running out. They thought it was an earthquake, but no, it was just Jeff driving the church van. That's what that feels like. I just slammed into his van. But instead of being grumpy and upset or anything else, let all that you do be done with love. He came out and he and his wife were concerned about me. They were concerned that I was going to have to tell Patty Matterson that I ruined the church van. <laughs> You're in trouble, buddy, and we want to pray for you. You know, it's that kind of a thing. Let all that you do be done in love. These kind of stories, our neighbor, Carol, who just a couple of days ago comes, knocks on our door and brings a platter of warm butterscotch brownies fresh out of the oven. That's love, you guys. And I'm going to post my address so that you will know exactly how to deliver that. (laughs) Thinking of others. Do you get it? This is what this is about. Sue Salehammer, After her husband, Paul, has passed away, goes through his library and knows that I love old books and finds an old book of Paul's and gives it to me. She's the one grieving, but she's thinking of others even in her grief. Even in her difficulty, she's thinking of others. Guys, this is our call. This should be what defines us. That we too would have this mind of Christ too, thinking of others. That's what this is about. That all that you do be done in love. Now, here's the reality though. It's difficult that sometimes when we think about some of the smaller things, it's not as easy. All that you do. So you're driving on the freeway. All right, let's just move on. (laughs) Let all that you do, even if you're let, let it when you're driving on the freeway, be done in love. That's what it means. That when you're shopping, let it be done with love. And and let me clarify, that does not mean that you love shopping. That means while you're shopping, you're thinking about others. Maybe it's what you buy. Maybe you notice somebody else can't afford something. I don't know what it is, but what you're doing when you shop, you could do it in love. These kind of ideas that when you're at work, you would do your work as if in being done in love. When you talk to others, do it in love, whether that's your spouse, whether that's your children, whether that's your parents and how you talk to your parents. It doesn't matter who it is that whatever you do, do it in love, how you treat others as well. So yesterday I'm finishing up this message and I take a break and I'm out in the garage and I'm going through some old stuff and I open up a box and there I find this gold pocket watch. It's a really cool old watch. It's been in my family for a long time. Like my grandfather gave it to my dad and my dad gave it to me and I have this watch. It has somebody's initials on it. It's in a little envelope with somebody's name and I don't know who the person's name is. So it went into a box, tried to keep it safe, but it's it's like from the turn of the century. It's this really cool gold watch little pocket watch. And, uh, I pull it out of the box and I look at it except that I've recently been doing genealogy. So I've learned more of the family names. And this time I look at the envelope and I'm like, wait a minute. I actually know that name. Now I could go look on the genealogy stuff. I could find this person. And then I hesitate because I realize if I find them, This person isn't directly related to me. What happens is they were visiting my grandparents. They were walking in the backyard. She drops her watch and doesn't realize it, loses the watch in my grandpa's backyard. My grandpa finds it, but she goes back home far away and she ends up passing away. So my grandpa never gives the watch back to her because she's dead, she's not gonna need it. They don't tell time in heaven. But at this point in time, This watch just gets passed on, but it's just somebody uh, sort of related to us on another side of the family. But then I realize, now that I know genealogy, I can find her family now. I can find her children and her children's children, and I can find them. And I could actually bless them with this watch and go, this is your great-grandmother's watch. How cool would that be? And I almost closed the computer because I don't want to do it that watch is mine. I've had this watch for a long time. And if I go find out her family, I'm gonna have to give it up. And so I'm conflicted over this struggle. This is the problem with love, is that it oftentimes requires sacrifice. So I turn on the computer, I go into the software genealogy program, and I type in all the details, and I find out, to my delight, that she has no children.
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> Do you realize how wrong that is? This is me coming up to give you this sermon on this topic, and I am wishing that she has no kids so that I can keep an old watch that doesn't even work. That's us, right? And Paul stops and says, look, I know it's going to be hard, but let all that you do be done in love. That story would have been so much better if I would have told you. I reached out to her family and they went, oh, we've got nothing from our grandma. This is the only thing we wish. This has made such a beautiful connection. Thank you so much. That didn't happen. I still have the watch. <laughs> let all that you do be done in love. Here's the point. We need you to do this too. This isn't a happy thought that we talk about on Sunday. This is how we live our life later today. This is how we treat each other, that we're thinking of others and all that we do be done in love. In fact, we have a problem here at this church and it's not what you think because when somebody says, hey, there's a problem with the church, you guys are doing something wrong. Here's what it is. This year, through your generosity, through the compassion fund on the last Sunday of the month, we give away or we rather take a, a compassion fund that we can give away to people in need. So every last Sunday of the month, you guys have been donating into that. You've above your tithes and offerings, you've been giving to the Compassion Fund. This last year, we gave away to people in need in our, in our congregation, our friends and family, and to our community that were in need, we gave away $100,000. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you can, you can applaud that. Here's the problem. In the fund... Is $400,000. Even after giving away. 100000 Do you see the problem? We have people in our life. That are in need. Who need to be loved. We as staff on the church. Don't know all those stories. We don't know who they are. So what I need you to do right now. Is I need you to think of Others, literally right now, pen in hand, piece of paper. Who do you know who's going through it right now? Who has lost their job? Whose car broke down? Who just had their car broken into? Who's sick? Who needs some soup at their door? Who needs a gold watch? I don't know. The idea being that you know people in your life. How many of you know somebody who's going through something difficult right now? That's it. Anybody else? We have the opportunity right now where your own generosity, your own compassion will fund dollars that can go right back out into this community to love our community. We need your names. We need your stories. What we want you to do is just simply send us an email at missions at fullertonfree.com. M-I-S-S-I-O-N-S at Fullertonfree.com. Tell us your stories. Tell us the person. Call us. We want to help you. We will just simply give it right back to you. We'll give you the money and say, go bless them. There are some parameters here and there, but (laughs) test us on this. We need to do just this. We need to be thinking of others. We need to give this away. We need to love on others. And this church right now is deputizing you just like Paul did. Paul said, go love others. And we're telling you, we can fund that. Go do it. We need to hear your stories. Please, let God whisper to you that you can do something about this. Brad Dingfelder, he's up playing the piano this morning. Brad, we were in a meeting, we were having this conversation and he says, you know, Robin and I, my wife and I, we were talking about it and we realized some of this, we can just do ourselves. Some of you are doing this yourselves. That's wonderful. Keep doing that. But along the way, our problem right now is we're being commanded to love. They will know us by our understanding of theology of first Corinthians. We can tackle all the difficult issues. That's how they're going to know us. Uh Uh-uh. They will know us by our love. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that when we weren't even around, you were already engaging with us. You were already thinking of us. Lord, would we too be able to do just that? Lord, we know that there are so many people in this world that are hurting, that are struggling, and many we don't even know of. But we would ask, Lord, that your spirit would indeed whisper to us, a family, a friend, uh, a person at work, somebody that might be going through it, that Lord, you would lay them on our hearts and that we would make sure we love them and that we would love those around us and how we speak to them and how we act and how we drive. But Lord, may this church be known by how we love others. We thank you for your word and we ask these things in your name, amen.